following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over with me this morning to Psalm 127. We are continuing in our study of the Psalms, of looking at the songs of ascent, songs for the sojourn, and I appreciate very much uh, last week. Isn't that exciting? I love seeing all the kids heading out. Uh, it's amazing how many kids we have and young families that are in our church and how God's blessing uh, that part of our ministry. I'd add to that, continue to pray for us as we seek the Lord's person to lead our children's ministry uh, as we are transitioning from Patrick's leadership and now looking uh, for who God has uh, for that role. But we've been looking now at these songs of the sojourn and I was saying I'm so thankful for Doug Langhouse and his gifts and abilities here in the church to be able to come and to bring uh, the word to you in my absence. Uh, My family appreciates the time away last week as we enjoyed uh, just getting away. And I should have prayed in the pastoral prayer for those families. How many of you have uh, children who are heading off to school uh, this week? Any of you? That's a big deal. And uh, that's hard. And we've got one heading off to school for the first time and one heading back to school and one starting Uh, into high school and we're shutting down our administrative offices tomorrow and moving those and we're going to worship in this building for the last time next week and move to a new facility uh, in a borrowed place and go to two services uh, and to do that and so it's kind of a crazy month for a lot of people with everything that's going on and in the midst of that you might be experiencing some anxiety you might be worried a little bit about what's happening And I know as a parent, you wonder, okay, God, are you on South Carolina campus? Are you at Clemson? And some of you may say no, depending upon your affinities uh, there. I know that he resides in Chapel Hill for sure. um, but, uh, uh, But we go and we wonder, Lord, is everything going to be okay? We, we look in our families, we look in our marriages, and we wonder, Lord, is everything going to be okay? We look into our businesses, and we work hard in our businesses, and we really, at the end of the day, are saying, God, is everything going to be okay in this? Do you, do you have this? For those of you who are retired, and you look maybe at your portfolios and go, am I going to have enough to see me through my extended life? For those of you who are caregivers, and we have such a wonderful group of men and women uh, in our church who are caregivers to their loved ones as they suffer through different ailments, and you look at your loved one and you're asking, is this going to be okay? God, do do you have this? Well, I believe that the psalmist knew all of those things, and he came back to a conclusion in Psalm 127. And he said, as we are sojourning in this world, as we are sojourning in this life, as we are here for a season, but this isn't home, but we're busy uh, doing different things while we're here, how is it that we're supposed to approach this life? Because if this isn't home, and we know that one day we're going to get home, if we're going to one day be fully where we were designed to be, but we're not quite there yet, it can lead to anxieties. It can lead to concerns. And the writer of this psalm, in Psalm 127, said this, Unless the Lord builds the house. 
unless the Lord is the one who is at work building whatever it is that you are endeavoring to do, unless the Lord, Yahweh, the God of all gods, the Lord of hosts, unless He is the one who is doing the work through you, everything is vanity. You labor in vain. You rise up early and you go to sleep late and there's no rest for you, for you eat the bread of anxiety and of vanity. Let's hear uh, the words that the psalmist uses. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates." This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Psalm 127 is a difficult psalm in that it is really two combinations of psalms. There's the first two verses which speak uh, of our anxiety and of trusting in the Lord. And then the psalmist begins to speak uh, about children and what those are like and the blessing that comes through children and how they honor the parents in that way. We're going to focus this morning Uh, on the first two verses. Not because the other ones aren't important uh, or because we may not see at certain times that children are a blessing uh, from the Lord, but that we just are going to focus on the first part uh, of this today. So I don't want you to read anything into that. Wow, Bill doesn't like kids or, uh, you know, he's not a full quiver Christian kind of guy, whatever that means uh, and all. But... um, But the first part, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I looked up a couple of other places that speak of anxiety and an anxious heart in the scripture, and hear these words. Evidently, it was something that all humans wrestle with, so it's not unique just to you. If you're wrestling with anxiety or you have anxious thoughts, spoken through the prophets and through Christ himself, Peter and Paul, in Isaiah 35, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Or Christ in the very familiar words in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, neither they sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory has not arrayed, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then finally, Paul writing to the Philippian church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, anxiety seems to be an issue for the human condition. All of us at some level wrestle with it. Some to more extremes. Some of you are probably in your life have wrestled even to the point of anxiety attacks. uh, Of places where you are so overwhelmed that your mind and body have come to a freezing point and you just sit and you're caught and you don't know where to move and you just are there. Wondering what to do, frozen in that paralysis of fear. Some of you aren't anxious at all. And that may be because you're at great peace with God, or it may be that you just don't think about things much at all. I don't worry about anything. Oh, well, what's going on in your life? Well, nothing much. It's fine. There's no deep considerations. There's no, it's just sort of the hummingbird mentality of life. You just sort of flitter around, you come in, and then you bounce right back off. And so you seem to be at peace, but you're not really at peace. You're just unattached and aloof to everything that's going on. So there's got to be somewhere in the middle between overwhelmed and paralyzed by fear and anxiety and so unaware of it that you're not engaged in life at all. So how is it that the Christian walking through life deals with the things of this world? If you're not a Christian, if you're not a church person and you're here this morning, I'm thankful that you're here because you deal with these things too. I want you to know this. There is no difference between the Christian and the non-Christian and the things that they experience in this world. No difference at all. The difference comes in how we respond to those things. The difference comes with where the Christian draws strength from. The the place where the Christian goes to deal with their issues versus the non-Christian and the places that they go. 
And so what I'm asking you to do, both Christian and non-Christian today, is consider what's going on in your world. Consider where you're going. And it's a great day to have communion here. Because having both of our sacraments in the same Sunday worship is awesome. Because what you see is God's hand upon a child's life. Of saying, I am faithful through the generations. And I will bless, even to a thousand generations, those who love me and trust me and keep my commands. And you see that working out in these two families represented here this morning. Of God's faithfulness to generations. And then you see this table, which is the picture of the cross. Where Jesus says, I came. And you can place all of your fears. And you can bring all of your anxieties. And you can lay them here for I've taken them upon myself I've gone where you haven't gone yet I am where you're not yet to be and it's peace there and my peace I give you even while you're here so it's this beautiful picture of what's going on this morning let's consider a couple of things together briefly This will be what I would call uh, a homily. Do you know the difference between a homily and a sermon? A homily is simply a short sermon. And so this will just be shorter. And some of you are going, yes, awesome. Um, And this will just be a little shorter only because I want us to have time to fully celebrate and engage in God's means of grace to us at the table. But the first thing I, I want us to deal with is the issue of two lies about work. Two lies about what it means to work. The psalmist here brings up that you labor, that you labor. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So this idea of work, and there's two extremes that have happened. There's the extreme within the Christian church that you've got to work, 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 work. You've got to labor, 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 labor. You have got to be busy. You've got to say yes to everything. You've got to be involved in everything. You've got to go do it. If there's an opportunity to serve, you better be the one serving it, and you're going to work your fingers to the bone, and you're going to do it, and you're going to do it, and you're not going to seek the Lord in it. You're just going to get busy. Busyness is choking out the church of Jesus Christ today. You all are so busy. We are busy with incredibly good things or things that look good on the outside. And there's a picture that comes to mind. It was used as an illustration uh, on several different commentators that said, there's one picture that seemed to be really good in the Old Testament. It was a group of people who said, we want to get near to God. We want to have a pipeline to God. And so we're going to build a building. We're going to build a tower that is going to peak even into the heavens and that we're going to have an opportunity to be with him. And they built and they built and they built and they built and they were busy and busy and busy and busy in religious activities. And the Tower of Babel was created. And so you work and you work and you work, but it says that God wasn't in that work. And eventually he destroyed the tower and it caused chaos uh, and division and language confusion and all the different things that fell out of just the busyness of doing things that we think will please God, but God's not in the middle of them. And so some of you are so busy that you're doing. I remember sitting with a friend of mine a number of years ago and we were starting a men's group. And I said, okay, if we're going to be in this men's group together, it's going to take commitment from each of you because if we're going to share life together and study together, then you need to come every week. You've got to be on time. You've got to study the material. You've got to be engaged. You've got to do it. So here first, here's our first exercise. Lay out everything that you're currently involved in uh, in your life. And this guy wrote down, 
I'm a deacon, I'm a small group leader, I'm involved in the youth group, I'm this, 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 and this. In my work, I'm here, and I'm here, and I'm here, and I'm here. And I'm on the rotary, and I'm on this, and I'm on this. And he had this list that was choking. And I looked at him and I said, how are you and your wife doing? He goes, that's a weird question. I said, well, how are you and your wife doing? He said, well, she resents the church because I'm always here. She resents my job because I'm always there. And she resents everything really about me. But God's called me to work, Bill. And I've got to work. And I said, here's the deal. Within 30 days, you have to pare that down to seven commitments and seven commitments only. Not that that's some sanctosanct number, by the way. Don't walk around and go, the preacher said seven, honey. And you got to get seven. We eventually got that down to three commitments for him. Because he was so busy. And he wondered why he wasn't fruitful in any of his endeavors. Some of you need to sit down and shock yourselves into writing down all the commitments you've made of your busyness that you're saying are for the Lord and are for Him and see where they are. So you've got in their mind one extreme of work and that's to work, 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 work. And the other of you have this extreme and it's that wonderful bumper sticker which says just let go and let God. Uh, That you are sort of where Paul had to deal with the Thessalonian church. The Thessalonian church was that God's done it all. Jesus has done everything, that I'm perfect in him. There's nothing I can add to it. I'm just supposed to rest. Jesus said that he was the Sabbath rest. So I'm just going to rest from my labors. And I'm going to sit back. And I'm going to rock. And I'm just going to be. And I'm not going to do anything. Because, you know, God says to rest. And I don't want to get caught up with all those other things. So some of you kicked back in that regard. And you're doing absolutely nothing At all. Some of you have redefined retirement to be this, passivity. Retirement is really this. It's it's quite a modern concept, by the way. And I think it's one that God ordained in order to get more people active with their wisdom in the church in the latter years of their lives. And we've turned it into an opportunity to go, been there, done that, thanks. I'll let the younger generation step up. He's saying, don't be so busy that you're worn out. But don't be passive and sitting around over here. And so there's these two extremes and these two lies of work. One is that you work all the time, that you're on that gerbil wheel. Some of you need to, you know what a gerbil wheel is? You all remember that from the old days? Mine squeaked. I had a gerbil. I had lots of gerbils. I didn't seem to, they didn't have a long life expectancy in my care, evidently. And so I had lots of gerbils. And, uh, but the one thing that was common about the gerbils was there was one metal gerbil wheel that they ran on, and they would run and run and run constantly and in the middle of the night, and it squeaked. And we sprayed it with WD-40, but it squeaked. And I thought about that. Some of you need to go buy a gerbil wheel and put it on your mantle or put it on your desk in your office, and here's what you need to say. Get off of the gerbil wheel. Step away. You're just working and working and working. And others of you need to have that gerbil wheel and you need to say, step into it. Get moving a little bit more. Step in and start doing something. So there's these two extremes of these. So what's a healthy way of viewing work? First, this. Work is a godly endeavor. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city. It's a picture of saying God works. God works. If you go back all the way to Genesis, God worked. 
God created the heavens and the earth. God was active and work is a good thing brought out of the very character of God. It is one of those communicable attributes of God which is communicated and given to us who are made in the image of God. We were designed to work. We were designed to labor in His name. We were designed to go and to do this. Now the fall brought about uh, a curse on our work that it became toilsome and burdensome. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't work. And so the idea is that work is godly and that all of our work is done to the glory of God. And he says, unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord watches over. Work is a beautiful endeavor. In the New Testament, it says, do your work as unto the Lord. You see, what happened, it was very interesting, what happened in the Protestant Revolution uh, and and, uh, the Protestant movement uh, across Europe there became this idea and a concept that some of you are familiar with, and it's called the Protestant work ethic. How many of you have heard of the Protestant work ethic? A few of you. You want to know what the Protestant work ethic was? It was this. It doesn't matter if you're a slave in the field or you are the lord of the manor. All of your work is done soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Therefore, plow the field with all earnestness. Therefore, go and spin your yarn with all vigor as done unto the Lord. Go and work. And so what was happening across all of Europe as the gospel was spreading and that this image of God being glorified in all of our work, all of a sudden, all these people started to work. All of these people who, who weren't gaining anything really out of it were working. Why? Because they saw the value, the godly value in work. And so we are to work but it's a different kind of work. Here's something to know about your work. Your work is differentiated from who you are. You and your work are not the same thing. You're not identified by your work. You're not identified by your success and or failures in your work. You're identified by God who sent His Son and defined you by that, of calling you His own. That's who you are. That's what validates you is a God in heaven who says, you're my son, you're my daughter. Now go and, be bus- go and labor, go and work in my name, go and do good things in my name. But if they succeed or failure, it, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I love the new Domino's commercial. Some of you have seen them. Uh, and it says on the back wall, Failure is an option. Don't you, have you seen that? Don't you like that? How many of you would agree with that? Failure is an option. Some of you say that, but uh, it probably doesn't work out well in your life, does it? Failure is an option because it means that it doesn't matter that we're trying things, we're going out and we're doing and trying new things for the Lord. And we may fail on some of those, but what really matters is how did we work? How did we do? Was it unto the Lord? And so realize that work is a godly endeavor. Work is a godly endeavor. And God has given you the gifts and the skills to work for him. So with that in mind, we sort of defined work. What does all this mean when he says now, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, For he gives to his beloved sleep. I want to highlight just for a moment this idea of eating the bread of anxious toil. Eating the bread of anxious toil. 
Some of you are fretting. Some of you are worried about tomorrow. Even right now, your mind is in Monday. Your mind is already worried uh, about what's coming up. You've got to catch a plane tonight. You've got to catch a plane in the morning. You've got a meeting first thing in the morning. You've got to get some things done. You're already starting to get there. Some of you whose kids like mine are leaving for school on Friday and Saturday are all worked up into a frenzy about all the things that are going to happen and how we're going to get all of these things done. And we're doing this and we're going to get busy and we're going to toil and we're going to do and we're going to do. And all of a sudden, there's really nothing that comes out of it except anxiety. He says, you labor, you get up early in the morning, and you work until late. Some of you have an incredible work ethic. You are up early. You don't sleep. I I picked on a friend of mine in the church. I used to love the time stamps on the emails that I would get from him. 1.22 in the morning, 2.04 in the morning, and I would write back and say to him, go to bed. And the worst part was, I was up during those times. He'd be like, you go to bed. And... I was up because I had shoulder surgery. I'd like to use that as an excuse. But, he, and no, but you're up and you're just going, you're working and you're laboring and you're doing all of these things. And we've got to get it done and we've got to get it done and we've got to get it done. And you hear yourself saying stuff like this. Oh, there aren't what? There are just not enough hours in the day. Really? You ever thought about that? The indictment that that is against the creator of the days? God, you messed up in this because, God, there's obviously a flaw in your plan because 24 hours just is not enough time for me to accomplish all the things that need to accomplish. And this whole silly notion of taking one day off out of seven is just really craziness. Don't you know that in order for me to get ahead, don't you know in order for me to stay ahead of these other people who are coming behind me, don't you know in order for me to do, in order for me to do, in order for me to do, I've got to get. And so you work and you work and you work and you work and you're more and more anxious all the time. Think about the anxieties that the people of Israel at this time would have been experiencing. He says, you build the house, but unless the Lord builds it, you labor in vain. How many of you have built a stone house, stone by stone, cut it and masoned it yourself? Any of you? I haven't either, but I can promise you this. I wouldn't want to live in that house. There's no modern technology. There's no modern thing. He said, unless the Lord builds it, you're going to labor in vain. It's going to be there, but you're going to be worried about it constantly in that. How many of you have lived in an ancient Near Eastern society where the only thing between you and the enemy was a wall? A small wall that the enemy could breach at any time. Marauding bands at night. And you had watchmen who were there. And you know what? You went to bed each night hoping. You know what your prayer probably would be when you went to sleep every night? Lord, would you keep the watchmen awake? Because if the watchman falls asleep and someone breaches, I could be lost and my family could be lost. The idea of toil and and of anxiety that's built up in the individual with all of these things. And the Lord is saying, if you're anxious about these things, it exposes a couple of things. It exposes a couple of things about you. First and foremost, it exposes your hearts. It exposes what you're ultimately trusting in. And it exposes what you're not trusting in. If you are a type of person who's anxious and it's your endeavors and it's your work, do you know who you're ultimately trusting in? 
you. You have placed yourself at the pinnacle of all things that are good. And that everything has to come by you and rest in you. And everything has to be there because of you. The amount of pride that's mixed into that attitude. And we all wrestle with it. I wrestle with it. Ask Lisa what it's like to go on vacation with me. We need, and we've determined that seven days is generally a minimum amount of time to get away. Why? Because it takes me about two days to detox from all the stress uh, of the previous weeks or months before I've had a break. And so I've got to detox a little bit and exhale to get all of those things done. I love you people, but you can drive us crazy uh, in leadership as we drive you crazy in our leadership. And so you have to detox. That's why we give you seven days between worship services, by the way. Detox from Bill for two days, three good days, and then, so I've got like three good days in the middle because guess what begins to happen on day five? Oh, and then you start stressing about what's at the office. Oh my gosh, you know all the emails that I've got sitting in my inbox, all the phone calls, all the things that have to happen. Wonder how church went. I wonder if Tim uh, and Andrew and, and Matt and Doug pulled everything together well. Wonder how the announcement went. Oh gosh, what was all the stuff and then all the things. And so I start worrying about those things. And usually my statement after a vacation is something like this. The amount of stress leading up to the week of vacation and the amount of stress on the week after vacation very normally negates any benefit of the vacation itself. You know what that really exposes about Bill McCutcheon? I think way too much of Bill McCutcheon. I think that this church depends on Bill McCutcheon. I think that that staff needs me so desperately that my absence is somehow going to cause it to fall apart. That my family somehow is going to be a mess if I'm not around to control and maneuver and handle everything that needs to happen. That my sons just aren't going to make it through life unless Bill McCutcheon is overseeing it. And what it exposes in my anxiety and in my stress when those things come up is that I think and trust an awful lot in Bill McCutcheon. And what it also exposes is what I don't trust in. Because if I'm trusting in Bill McCutcheon, who am I not trusting in? I'm not trusting in the Lord of the universe in that way. It exposes my heart. And it also exposes the fact that I believe that I know the future. Here's what so many of you do. Here's what your anxiety looks like. This is turning into a sermon, isn't it? Not into a homily. I'm sorry. (laughs) I lied. I repent. I'm sorry. Um, Here's your... Here's where anxiety begins with you. You sit down and you're going to exhale and you're going to rest, but then something comes to your mind. So you know what you do? You get up out of your seat. You walk over to the crystal ball that you've kept in your house in a very sacred place and you pick up that crystal ball and you hold it and you realize my sons are going to fail in October. My work is going to fall apart next week. Oh no, this is what's going to happen in the future. And you wipe your hands on that crystal ball and you predict the future. And you predict an outcome that does not satisfy what you believe you have to have in order to be at peace. And you get anxious because what you are saying basically in that is you're staring into the crystal ball and you're holding it and you are saying to God, God, unless you order my future in this way, shape, or form, I won't be able to be at peace. God, if you, do, if you throw a curve in here, I'm not going to be able to handle it. 
So God, what's going to happen if my loved one dies? What's going to happen if I fail in school? What's going to happen if I don't get into that sorority? What's going to happen if I don't get into that fraternity? What's going to happen if I don't get this next big deal? What's going to happen? Oh God, I'm going to fall apart. And you've grabbed it and you've determined your future. And God is saying to you and to me today, put down the crystal ball. Put down the crystal ball. Because here is the way that we overcome our anxieties. Unless the Lord. Unless the Lord. Those three words I want you to remember today. And then after those words, you get to fill in the blank. I don't know what you have planned this afternoon. I don't know what you have for tomorrow. But maybe begin this way. Do your labor. If you're supposed to teach, then study well and do your work. If you're supposed to have a test, study well for your test. Do all of those things. But at the end of the day, you come back and you say, Lord, unless you preach this sermon, it is going to fail miserably. Lord, unless you take care of my family, I'm going to fail in the middle of that. Lord, unless you go to Clemson this week with my son. Lord, unless you go before me in these things, everything is destined to fail. I put my trust in you. And Lord, and I'm looking out, I look out at you guys. And I imagine that some of you, if I allowed you to come up here this morning, you would testify to the fact that as you looked into the crystal ball, you would have said this, Lord, if you bring cancer into my life, it will destroy us. And what you found is this, God is faithful even through the midst of cancer. You would say, God, if I lose this loved one, if I lose my spouse of all these years, how am I going to make it? And you've made it day by day with the faithfulness of God. That you've looked and you said, and Lord, unless this happens, and what you find is God saying, quit trying to look into the future. That's what Jesus said. Every day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. doesn't mean don't prepare if you've got a test for tomorrow, by the way. doesn't mean don't prepare if you have a business trip, that you need to be prepared for your business trip. It's simply saying this, realize this, I love my mom and dad. I look back now and appreciate so many of the things that they said. And taught me as a child. And the one that my mom said over and over to me was this. Billy, don't worry about tomorrow. God's already in tomorrow. Awesome. God's already in Monday. Do you realize that? And do you know what that means? He's got it. And he's got you. And you don't have to fret tonight about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about it. You can trust that the Lord is the one. Unless the Lord. Let's use those words now in this way as we approach this table. Something to this effect. Unless the Lord saves you. Unless the Lord does the work on your behalf. All of your religious moral work is in vain. Unless the Lord sent His only Son, Christ, 
to live the perfect life on your behalf and to die that death on your behalf and to be raised from the dead on your behalf, then everything in this life is vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Cotton candy of cotton candies. It's like eating cotton candy. It's there for a moment and gone. Vanity of vanities. And so this morning, I invite you to come unless the Lord, unless the Lord, Let's pray. Father, first forgive us when we have determined that our fretting and our anxiety somehow is a godly endeavor. Father, forgive us when we have not trusted in you, when we have elevated ourselves to a deity We have become to ourselves our own saviors. Forgive us and humble us in the midst of that. And Father, would we find that as we trust in you, there is a peace that comes to us. And Lord, as we approach this table, unless you do this work, we labor in vain. So would all of our labors be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Would they be sanctified by him? And as they ascend into your throne room, and would you accept them as beautiful unto you? We praise you and give you glory in Christ's name. Amen.